Welcome to No Clip. I'm Chad Rutherman. I'm JJ Artimes. And I'm Andy Kinnick. Today we're going to be talking about Broken Age, which I didn't look up any of the information for. All right. Good. High uh, quality. <laughs> you know what was also high quality, Andy Kinnick? Uh, 20 <laughs> questions oh, okay, to 20 guess things. what high quality past thing okay. I'm referring to. Is it video game related? Yes. Is it larger than a bread box? <laughs> what? <laughs> That's one of the go-to 20 questions questions. Yeah, Why? Yeah. It really helps narrow it It does. We learned this. <laughs> I believe you, but... It's like a classic... It ask if something's bigger or smaller than a bread box, so you know. But that's... I guess when you play 20 questions, how often is it a real thing, and how often is it like an abstract concept? Uh, I feel like most of the time a it's a real thing. thing. Yeah. Like, would you when you say... Like, if you said that question in relation to, like, a specific video game... Like Dark Souls I know, or something. That was like a joke, though. Oh. I wasn't at... Yeah. But still, like, when you said that, <laughs> would it would the answer be, like, bigger or smaller than a bread box? Or does it even make sense? Like, are you referring to the disc or the data? Both of which are smaller than a bread box, but... <laughs> so, yeah, the answer would okay, be, yes, it's smaller, it is smaller than a bread box. box. Video game. Okay, that helps. Yeah. Uh, so, is it a game that we've talked about? Uh, no, not in the past. Is it a game that we're going to talk about in the future? It is. It is. Oh, God. Is it the game that we're talking about today? You're not playing this game. Is oh, it a sorry. game that we're talking about today? Yes, it is, Andy Kenny. <laughs> is it Chips Challenge? No, no, it's not Chips Challenge. <laughs> oh, it's Broken Age? And today we're going to be talking about Broken Age. Uh, this is a game that was released in 2015 and was developed and published by Double Fine Entertainment. Double, er, yeah, Double Fine uh, is a company that was started by Tim Schafer. Uh, who sort of became quote unquote video game famous uh, for developing adventure games at LucasArts back in the 90s? Uh, his most probably notable game being Grim Fandango. Uh, JJ yeah? is not much of an adventure game player. Have you actually played an, any adventure games, like point and click adventure games? Prior to this one. Not a single one. And wow. I was trying really hard to maintain my ignorance of the genre for the sake of the cast, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, I thought it would be more interesting if instead of me, like, bum-rushing to try and fill in the enormous gaps in my information about the genre, <laughs> and if instead I just didn't do that and treated it sort of exclusively on its own merits. It's, I can't believe you've never played a point-and-click before. <laughs> I mean, like, to me, like, when I was a kid, like, point and clicks were what computer games were. Oh, I agree, but computer games for me were, like, such a far away and separate thing when I was at, like, that age at the time. Like, my, the closest thing I ever got to, like, really being into a computer game was going to Derek's house where he had a computer upstairs at the top uh, of, like, of his stairs. It's... <laughs> Yeah, that's weird. I guess upstairs, but it's literally by the stairs. That's actually my grandmother had like the same setup like back a in the nineties. Yeah, yeah, it was a hallway computer. computer. It was very ah. strange, but it was a computer that was good enough to have video games, and they had like you know like putt putt and shit. Ah, putt putt. Uh, but, that counts as point and click, right? Yeah, I would okay. say so. Yeah. yeah, I played the crap out of those. And then I'd, I'd come to his house, and sometimes when we were bored, we would do computer things, which sometimes included putt putt. But that wasn't really wasn't me playing the game. That was me like either watching him play. We're just kind of goofing off in the middle of like someone else's save file or other things. But that's putt putt for maybe one hour total of my whole life. Right. That's Which one? I don't putt goes to the moon. There's You're like already a hundred putt putt games. Putt putt enters the race. <laughs> putt putt saves the zoo. 
Putt-Putt joins the circle. <laughs> Putt-Putt travels through time. Jeez, look at you just showing Put- off your extensive Putt-Putt knowledge. <laughs> yeah. Putt-Putt has an Ernest-esque level of like activities <laughs> that he's done in his, his career. As most childish video game protagonists do. I suppose it's true. Yeah. Um, interestingly, I actually don't even have that like historical of uh, an experience with adventure games. Uh, PC games for me in the 90s were like SimCity and... Uh, roller Coaster like, Tycoon. <laughs> I did play a little bit of Roller Coaster Tycoon too. Um, like Star Wars X-Wing and TIE Fighter. Um, Jealous. But that's about it really. Uh, I owned the Sam and Max games, but I never played them for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> Which okay. sucks because now I've gone back and played them and really enjoy them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'm really yeah, um, my first experience with with adventure games as a whole probably showed up in I want to say 2007 or eight. Wow! When I was in high school and played Grim Fandango, I'm like the, I heard it was really good. I'm like the authority on this then. Apparently, yeah, like, yeah more or less. <laughs> At least like in the historical sense. That's the thing is like I never even played like the Lucas Arts ones as a kid. Mm-hmm. Like I only ever played like weird. Like shoot off ones, yeah, like, like putt putt. <laughs> <laughs> and I had like SpongeBob employee of the month. Ooh, was that a pointy game? Yeah. What? Oh wow. Wait, wait. It's but actually... SpongeBob didn't exist until like '99, right? Yeah. So this, so this was probably an, a point click adventure game for the PC made like in 2000... the PS One era of yeah. yeah, yeah. Yep. God, that's that's interesting. Yep. yep. Well, I mean, yeah. they never went away. They've always existed. Yeah. Since, it's just like the early 90s. It's just weird for me to think of like a highly marketed game. You know, I guess maybe SpongeBob wasn't the crazy big brand that it was right after its inception, but that depends on what era this game came out. For all we know, there could be like a 2008 SpongeBob point and click. <laughs> it's it's, yeah, it's yeah. not that new. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was probably, I don't know, like 2004 or something. I don't know. It's definitely nowhere near as new as Broken Age, the actual no, game. No, it is not. Yeah. The game that we should talk about some. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, I think the reason that it's relevant to talk about point and clicks as, as a genre in relation to this game specifically is that, like, they're a game that has, like, such, like, I don't want to say an underground contingency, but, like, there is a sub... Like, this, this genre has, like, an audience. A niche. Yeah, that exists in the video game community that clearly really likes these games and loves to talk about them and, like, wax poetic about the old days of point and clicks. And yet, really, there hasn't been, like, a, a largely successful one prior to 2015... To the point that when this game's Kickstarter came out, it it hit its goal in the first, like, eight minutes. Yeah. I guess, technically speaking, even in 2015, there wasn't a successful one, because it didn't exist yet when it was already successful. Right? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I feel like point-and-clicks, or at least, like, studios, felt like... It's like the platformer. Like, the 3D platformer. Like, people were like, these don't sell anymore throw them in the trash. Yeah. <laughs> like, people, people just don't make them anymore. And I think, like, Telltale and studios like that, like, kind of swooped in and kind of, like, gave it, like, a makeover and a tune-up. Yeah, a little modern like, twist. Yeah, that's, like, an evolution of, like, the point-and-click adventure. Yeah. It's ostensibly, uh, Telltale Games is a an adventure game studio. But, like, what they make are not what you would consider 
it's like a point and click adventure game in like the sense that Broken Age is. Right. It's more like an RPG, like a Telltale spin on the genre. The things, the like actual interactions RPG? you have. Yeah, the actual interactions that you have are more about defining who your character is and how it relates to your environment. Yeah, it's more, like, more I, literal on the role playing gotcha. aspect. Yeah, of, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I got you. But in Broken Age, and I assume, question mark, most other games in this genre, that the, the sort of interactions that can happen are extremely predefined. There's no, like, branching paths in Broken Age. It's just you trying to find out, in some sense or another, what the actual way forward is. Right. And point-and-click adventure games, largely, and this isn't true of, like, every point-and-click adventure game, obviously. Um, some of the more modern ones, like, if you look at uh, Machinarium, uh, which was, like, a 2000... I want to say 2010? I've never played it. I've always really wanted to. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it, I think Brothers, sword, is it, is that the one that's like an adventure game? Oh, Sword and Sorcery. Yeah. It's, yeah, it was made for like iPhone though originally, right. so yeah. it's not quite. But there are all these like adventure games that like sort of like took parts of what made old point and clicks work and like cut out huge swaths of them to simplify them. And I think the Broken Age does yeah. a, a good job of like, making the difficulty of the game reasonable and palatable to a modern audience. Like, Grim Fandango is a game that could take you weeks to finish. Yeah. Because it's really long, and it's old adventure game hard. And, yep. they, and you know, okay, go on. I was going to say, like, that's, like, one of my biggest takeaways from this, is that I think it, like, it's that balancing act, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's not like completely obtuse in places like old adventure games are where you're just have you have no idea what to do and you're just clicking everything on everything until you stumble upon the, what you're supposed to do even when you do get into that loop of the try everything on everything where you've just given up on making logic out of what you've been given <laughs> yep. like the number of options are even limited enough that like it's a totally feasible thing yep. as like a last resort you do hear the lines a lot if you do that. That is true. I've yeah. heard d the don't. F I don't want to fork that joke. Maybe <laughs> a few dozen uh, more did times. Get, did you get the grab and Gary achievement? What's the grab and Gary achievement? Uh, yeah, where, it's because right, they do reward you for yep. doing it to a certain extent. Here, twenty reasons why Gary won't grab that. <laughs> and there's also one for like hearing twenty unique. I think it's thirty unique. Uh, uh, like, responses from trying to give the spoon to other people. <laughs> like, there are lots of, like, just things where it's just like, if you're gonna try everything... They do reward... They reward that old, like, mindset right. that, like, o like veterans of the genre are going to, like, do. Mm. Yeah, cause I feel like a lot of people who didn't... I mean, we'll get into how JJ ended up playing this game. Um... But uh, a lot of people who have never played a point-and-click adventure game before, if they play this game, I feel like there are going to be places where... Because like, I, I don't think that the try-every-inventory-item-with-every-object-in-the-environment <laughs> is, like, a thing that most people would consider doing. Right. Like, cause it just seems unintuitive to just be like, I don't know how to solve this puzzle, so we're going to try and brute-force it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but it, like, it's a logical response, but I don't think a lot of people would consider it a fun response. Right. It's That is, like, the worst-case scenario for an adventure game puzzle. Yeah. So and, that, I mean, there's nothing in this game that comes close to the, like, 
uh, the the fake cat hair mustache <laughs> puzzles of Adventure Games Pass. Yeah, but you say that it's worst case scenario for games like this, but it seems like old ones were designed specifically to get you to that. <laughs> to do that, yeah. yeah. Like, to make it so that you at least knew that that was an option. Yeah, because I guess point and clicks were still being made in the time where, like, people tried to make, make games last as long as they could and so you'd get your money out of them. Yeah. So I guess that's where that design philosophy came from. Mm. Yeah, meanwhile, Broken Age is a game that I think... I mean, it wasn't a full-priced game when it came out, and uh, it, I, like it's it's clearly not made for that audience. It was Kickstarter, wasn't it? Yeah. Did, I, well, I guess, I forget how much I paid for the game now, or, So, and I also don't know how much you could pay for it at the time, and I don't know what sort of benefits or things you got for paying at different levels when it was actually kickstarted. Right. But was there one level that was like, you just get the game and that's all you get? Yeah, presumably that's the thing. And your name in the credits. Which, as we determined, I must have pre-ordered this game, not kickstarted it, because my name was not in the credits. No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I've had this game forever on PC and just never played it. And then, because I knew you guys were playing it on PC, decided to play it on the PlayStation. Uh... Because it released on PS4 and a while ago was a free game through PSN. Oh. And so I I played it on that and it, it honestly wasn't that bad. You, you expected get, it to be bad? I expected it to be harder to like control. Yeah. yeah. Because like, it is specifically designed for a mouse. mouse. <laughs> uh, but I mean, I played uh, some Telltale games with, uh, with a controller. Though, I mean, the level of, I don't know, this game doesn't have pixel hunting. So I think I was okay because I yeah. didn't have to do that. Uh, but yeah, so your first experience with a point and click, what did you think? I, it seemed like most of the game was essentially just a vehicle for the authors to attempt to express their own creativity. Uh, wouldn't that? There are good and bad elements to that. Right. Uh, good in that. It's essentially just like an interesting art piece. Bad in that uh, there was like never really a point where I felt like I had like a huge amount of agency. Like t to give an example, when you're talking about some of the how some of the older games in the genre used to sort of reward you for doing the constantly connect every item in your inventory with everything in the environment method, like. I, I recognize, I'm under the assumption that that's not like a particularly engaging activity. That's just an activity that has a guaranteed result in success, but just takes a long fucking time. Right. Um, but like when you're doing that, the reward to getting the right answer really has nothing to do with like any of your like personal ability. When you start the process, you know for a fact that if you literally connect everything with everything, you'll find the right answer. It's just what makes that sequence cool is that when you get to the right answer, you can now be like, oh, you had to combine X with Y. Oh, it's right. so obvious and neat. And you have that sort of shock feature. And that that has nothing to do with like your involvement with the game. That's entirely just you trying to like recognize the cleverness of the person who created the game. And that can absolutely be cool. And I had a whole lot of you know, cool times, particularly in the first half of Broken Age, which I'm really, really high on, uh, but not really... I was I was not particularly a fan of anything after they switched places. Right. Yeah, I found out after the fact. I didn't even know when I started playing this that it would the game had been broken up into two uh, chunks and kickstarted twice, so to speak. I didn't know that there was ever a second round of funding. And oh man, does it 
does it really show real bad? <laughs> That's uh, the uh, the way that Andy put it when uh, I had started the second half was that the second half of this game is old adventure game hard. Yeah. Uh, See, so, yeah, that was my interpretation. Is I don't think the second half was less funded or is lower quality. I think it's just more like the older games. In what way? It's just... In, okay. The first half of the game, this was my experience anyway, mm-hmm. things were, like, manageable. Like, when you got items, you were like, oh, I can use this with that. And, like, you could you could figure everything out. Right. And it was, like, a nice level of challenging, but, like, never that hard. Like, I never once in the first half felt like I might need to break down and go look up a walkthrough. Second half is, like more obtuse and like things like that you would never think to do or the answers <laughs> and like you're like oh man i have no clue click on everything uh, right like try and put everything <laughs> together yeah and i think that was intentional yeah i think because that a lot was of just people... their way of creating a difficulty curve yeah yeah i think and a lot of people who backed this are going to be fans of the older games so they're probably will like the second half better because it was harder right that's it's not because a, a few moments specifically in the second half of the game are harder because of the features unique to Broken Age, n- namely that you, you need information from the other storylines to complete puzzles like across them. Yeah, and I'm correct in that none of that is present in, in the first half, right? There's one instance, I think. Uh, no. 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 I forget. It was. I remember that it was before the last time that I played the game, which is when I got to the end, there was one instance of a thing that I had to, like, check across worlds. And I remember that it was something that didn't occur to me because I, like, in my mind, I wasn't... I wasn't thinking that, like, Shay should have any of Vela's information or vice versa. Yeah. Because they shouldn't. Right, yeah. that's, That's true. But they're relying more on the player... To yeah. bridge the gap there. Yeah, and I think the problem with that is that it's just, like, never tutorialized. Right. Like, that's something that, like, a lot of players aren't going to think is even possible. Yeah. And will have to, like, look up what to do. Particularly when the entire how many hours of the initial first run of the game also didn't hint it to you at all. Yeah. It's not just that it wasn't tutorialized, it's just that it wasn't like, even present until that point, yeah, and it wasn't the game tutorialized. The game didn't even tell you you can switch whenever you want. Like, you just have to, like, notice the icon, icon in the in- yeah. inventory and click on it. What do we think the purpose of that was? Because I expected, honestly, for that it'd be, like, more hidden cross-information, things like that, because I'm used to when developers, like, implement tiny little mechanics like that for them to have a specific purpose. I My first thought was that it had something to do with like def- puzzle fatigue like if you got sort of frustrated with a situation you could just quit and go the others but i never did that because i was always worried that i but that doing that would just make me worse at the puzzle since you would just forget critical information right i think that seems like more of a jj problem <laughs> <laughs> my, my insight from this comes from uh when i uh, was playing the game on the ps4 because it like Whenever you play anything on the PlayStation 4, it, like, generates a feed of, like, blurbs. What generates a feed of blurbs? Like, the game for, like, your profile. It's very strange. Wait, uh, you've gone into the, like, 
2016 metaverse of <laughs> uh, social you, information. You have the icon for your game, and you scroll over it. You can scroll down below it, and there's like a, like a, like media feed of like blurbs and stuff. To what? Yeah. What well, profile? So, well, okay, it's it's basically like the PlayStation's like weird social networking thing, God where you it. can go to like your friends' profiles, and it'll be like. Uh, your buddy just, like, shot a guy in the face in this game and did a good job at it. And, like, whenever you change uh, characters in Broken Age, it'll bring up, like, a box that says, like, uh, Chad is stuck on a Shea puzzle, going to hang out with Bella for a while. So, like, when you switch over, it, like, notes that huh. and, like, posts it to the thing. And which assumes makes you you're think, stuck. Right. What is it? I think it only has two messages. One for, from switching from Shay to Bella and one from switching back. So, presumably, you're just, in the mind of Tim Schafer, you are always stuck. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe, like, I had heard this about the game from somewhere, but, like, I don't really remember that being the case. Or maybe I just assumed this and was lucky that I was right. But, like, I went into the game expecting to have to switch back and forth between them yep. way more often. Right. And then even knowing that, I still, like, there some of the stuff you had to, like, the information you needed from one side and where you applied it and the other was just, like, right. you know, like, stuff that would take forever to figure out. Looking in the background yeah. of a picture. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I'm like, I'm sitting here. So I had game. notes too, you know? Like, yeah. We all had notes for that puzzle. <laughs> yeah. That puzzle requires notes. No. Yeah. Yeah, and also, fuck that. Like, the, uh, first of all, we, <laughs> the people listening to this do not see me just produce notes. Okay. If you played the game, you probably know what we're talking about. Yeah. But just for clarification, the uh, wiring of the robot sequences the hexapals yeah. and the hexagons everyone like this is the first uh th this is the first game that i've played in a ever now uh, in, a, <laughs> in a long time that like i both took notes and like drew diagrams <laughs> and like i turned subtitles on so that i could get like notes to a song and like <laughs> write that down because that was a solution later like i kind of love that and, I mean, that's part of what brings me to this genre, is, like, the necessity... I guess, like, her story was the last one that I, like, oh, actually yeah. wrote things down as yep. we were doing it, and... Yeah. Her, her yeah. story's also designed for them that way. Right. I, I was actually worried that... I, I didn't know how people, broadly speaking, would take to, the to like, those styles of puzzles that require sort of, like, outside information outside of the game, and you're having to physically write things down. Because mm -hmm. I actually really enjoyed the first one of those that I encountered, which was the... knots. No, no, no. It was the uh, literal, like the literal logic puzzle that is just present in the game, where you have to look at the glass in part two. You're, I forget what the actual, what you're actually doing, like what you do with the information, but you have to figure out what kind of boots that he had. Oh right, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah you tell it to his mom, yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's literally just a logic puzzle, and I was like, yeah, I've taken a class in this. What right. <laughs> <laughs> about that? One of the most frustrating parts of the game was that I, like it, I sat there looking at that chart for like five minutes trying to figure out how I was supposed to fill it in before realizing that it's just a picture of a chart and Wait. they want you to write things down. Like, they want you to draw the chart. What chart? Oh, you did better on the logic puzzle than I did. Because if you try it twice and get it wrong, then Vela draws up a chart with, like, the years and then, like, all of the different things. Awesome. Yeah, and then you can... Because children will probably be playing this game, so... Yeah. But, like, they could have... 
in that moment, like, shown you, uh, like, a chart and had you be able to check things off and have it in your inventory and you be able to pull it out. But they just make a statement right there. They're like, no, this is a game where if you want to remember something, you write it down or you just remember it. Instead of giving you a chart, they could have, like, had Vela just be like, well, maybe I should take notes next time. Right, yeah, yeah, just like you know, saying it. It doesn't have to be so on the nose. Right. It's like, please draw this chart on a yeah. sheet of notebook. But no, what I was going to say when we first started, and then we said, or like kind of everyone right. started talking at once, um, <laughs> <laughs> is that puzzle that you have notes for over there with all the triangles for wiring the hexapals <laughs> and the hexagals. Right. Um, I like that initially. I hated that it repeated like a billion times. Like you had to keep rewiring them to do different things. I was like, this was fine as an isolated incident. I hate that this just became the mechanic for this last part of the game. I I like that you had to like rewire the same robot to do different things. Yeah. But I don't like the amount of time that it takes to like wire them once like once you have the information yeah because yeah. it's just like especially it's a real kick in the nuts that in the final uh, like puzzle if you don't do it correctly it resets both of the hexapals so you yeah. have to rewire them in shay's instance twice yeah. to get it uh like to do what you want it to do and it's yeah it gets a little bit tedious, tedious. Yep. exactly that yeah it was man the fact that they had to default to that sort of like repeated wiring puzzle and frankly just in in different ways during that last sequence we're using a whole lot of the other other puzzles that were present through the rest of the game is just another sort of piece uh in my argument for way i really do disagree with you on this andy and, and think that the second half of the game was and I do not, I'm not convinced that it was an intentional design decision to include things like that specifically as an appeal to older, to like older players of the genre. Granted, I am not that person. I have no information <laughs> on that person. It's just, it falls in line with so many other elements, including the narrative element of the game that I thought in the second half, just at times straight out contradicted the cool stuff they were doing in the first half and all the reuse of set pieces and that's the, the thing that sticks out to me is that it's just all the same places again yeah i actually i kind of like that yeah like for, in the, in terms of like my like internalization of the game as a whole i enjoy the fact that you are like just set in the same two worlds essentially the world of the spaceship and the world of Mariloft Sugar Bunting and uh and Shell, Shell Mound. Mound. And it's like that is in itself like a, an interesting thing, and especially like once they do cross. And I think that Vela's second half is really sort of what's coloring our opinion on on the second half because Shay's second half was honestly not that bad. I liked Shay's second half and I think Vela's second half is the only part of the game I wasn't like yeah. a big fan of. Vela's second half is is pretty difficult and because it's on a spaceship, I think literally by the like nature of the way that like the, the spaceship part of the game plays out is more abstracted and it's more difficult to like actually use logic to solve things. Because it's, it 
it makes no sense from an abstract standpoint to use a crochet hook to change the navigational light path of a starship. Like the from like from the furthest extrapolated point, that's not a thing you would think to do. Yeah. You had to like combine the fork with the yarn, stick it in stick. the robot's head. Yeah. <laughs> like you yeah. can't just give him the yarn. Right. You had to twirl it with a fork. Fork. That took me a while to figure that out. Yeah. <laughs> you, you have to like internalize the world of uh, of of Shay's ship. Before you can solve puzzles yeah. in it. In Vel's world, it's like, in Vel's world, it's just, you do a thing with a thing that makes sense that that thing would do. Yeah. yeah but they didn't, like, they didn't do anything interesting with that. Like, at, at the end of the first part, because you had this, like, huge narrative build-up build up where you had both of these characters who were trapped in their own isolated worlds for different reasons, not realizing that they were each trying to escape to the other's world in some shape or form. And then they get there, and not a whole lot changes about their environments. Like... Specifically referring to Shay's path in this kind, because we because I agree with both of you that it was better comparatively, but like Shay didn't bring anything unique and interesting to the table when he was having to deal with Vela's world and setting, other than I guess the occasional jokes about science words that none of the people in like Sugar Bunting or outside of it could understand. Like all the things that Shay did to interact with the people are just the same normal sort of adventure gamey puzzle solving interactions that Vela did. Like, I didn't feel like I was being a different person when I was Shay in trying to go through Fella's world. I just felt like I had switched characters and now I just had to find more stuff again. I didn't like that. <laughs> <laughs> well. Stab, stab. stab. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think of, like, I feel like this. Is, it's just like a product of like what Tim Schafer likes versus what you like. Right. What do you mean? Because Jim, Tim Schafer's whole thing is like witty dialogue and character interactions. He's like the Joss Whedon. Oh yeah. <laughs> of, uh... Totally. And I... Yeah, and like the whole thing is just like I feel like the emphasis on is how does Shay? What funny dialogue can we have these characters say to Shay? That's different than what they said to Vela. Right. right. I think that, like, it's something that I <laughs> that I never really, like, uh, internalized while playing is that, like, it's just so, like, expected, I guess. Like, I switched places and then I was like, all right, time to go find more stuff. Like, it's, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's basically just kind of what I thought was going to happen, and it did, and then, you know... I guess I know. Yeah. I suppose I know. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, I, I can totally understand not liking that, and I feel like I would have a more negative reaction to it if I didn't have the history and the genre. True, I kind of feel the same. I, I feel like I've heard a lot of people criticize Tim Schafer and say that he should just make animated films. Did you know that Tim Schafer's name <laughs> is an anagram for Mr. Shitface? <laughs> no. That seems like an unfair criticism of Tim Schafer. I don't, I don't know if I really buy into Mister Shitface being evidence that he's a shitface. No, I actually really like Tim Schafer. A lot of people don't, though. Really? That's a true fact. Oh, yeah. I like all of his games that I've played. Yeah, I love. Yeah, I played Psychonauts, but that's not really. I I didn't finish Psychonauts because I don't like platformers either. All right. Yeah. You say yeah, either? You, does that mean you, you play... do not like point and click adventure games? Uh, oh, yeah. No, I think there's a hypothetical version of a point-and-click adventure game that I would love, but I think it would be the kind of thing that would be so light on actual like mechanical interaction that it would be closer to a walking simulator in third person than anything else. 
this you were correct in saying that like Tim Schafer's whole thing is creating characters and settings and like witty dialogue interaction and that's the thing that's supposed to be the reward yeah, that you I think, chase. Yeah, that's like what's put first, I think. And those are the parts of both this game and Psychonauts that I really enjoyed. Uh I mean I didn't. It wasn't enough to get me all the way through Psychonauts for honestly, I forget what reason because it's been years ago since I tried to play it. But in the case of this game, like the the parts that I liked in like the first lead up before like the big reveal that of how the Shay and Vela are related was cool because I liked like the crazy, weird, sort of unsettling natures of both of the worlds that they were present in. I liked the way that they were like building up everything that was happening and making you sort of unsettled and constrained in different ways and it's and that really did work for me is what i'm saying i just a lot of the game elements of it and just tim schaefer games that i've played i i guess in that case i fall in with the uh i would watch the shit out of any animated television show he ever made camp fair yeah. enough no, <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean if he did do anything like that i would probably be on board but yeah. like i, I feel like clearly he... the dude i mean he's the ceo of double fine like right. his entire livelihood like yeah his whole livelihood depends on making games oh yeah i'm so not like, making i'm not making an argument that he should switch i'm just saying <laughs> if his if his job was the alternative i think i would enjoy his work more that's all yeah, he should definitely continue to make computer games because that is literally everything he knows. <laughs> so that seems sort of unfair for me to just be like, hey, you musician, I would really like your themes if they were in this painting. You better fucking learn how to paint right now. Yeah. That's I mean, a... he could still apply his knowledge of writing to an animated movie sure sure this is like this is the <laughs> different cultures andy this is the, this is that mitch hedberg joke where he's like if you're a really good cook and you work your ass off to be a really good cook and i said all right can you farm <laughs> like <it's>, <laughs> we're, we're not advocating for tim shaver to just like quit his job and go make movies no. but i'm just saying probably like, like quit his job and go make yeah movies. yeah this should maybe one one baby movie <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> the Yarn Pals were great. Oh. I loved oh, yeah. the shit out of the Yarn Pals. <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude, uh, the Yarn Pals were great. They it's, were funny. I mean, this game is... Uh, and this is like... I, I kind of just wanted to launch into the second half with this, like, discussion. Yeah. But, like, the game is very like it's i think it's charming yeah Can we oh, go with that? Like, oh that's, it's fucking adorable yeah like yeah, if like that is the adjective <laughs> that would be used in uh like if a modern film critic was discussing this game yeah as they make this game is charming mm -hmm. yes <laughs> nine out of ten <laughs> uh modern film critic nine yeah. out of ten yeah uh i think the tree was my favorite character Oh yeah, I think the tree should be everyone's favorite. <laughs> like, there was a moment in the game where you have to tell the tree a joke to oh, like get yeah. it to laugh and knock the fish out of its branches. Yeah. Once again, if you haven't played this game, uh, <laughs> we're basically speaking French. Um, but like, first of all, that doesn't. There's no logical reason why that would come up. You wouldn't think. I need to make the tree laugh, so I'll tell it a joke. It just is a dialogue option. It yeah, just says, yeah. like, tell a joke. And 
there is an achievement for getting the joke on the first try, but uh, uh, probably one of the most enjoyable, like, interactions that I had in the game was, like, messing up the joke puzzle <laughs> and just, like, <laughs> repeatedly trying to, like, figure out what the correct combination... It was like insult sword fight. I was just gonna say it's like Monkey Island. Yeah. Um... But, like, this game's version of it, where you're just, like, trying to piece together a joke that makes sense. <laughs> and it's like, you know, like, the local coffee shop does, has a no birch rule, and you're just like, that's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, the tree treats it with just, like, the most deadpan, like, deadly serious perspective. It's wonderful. <sighs> Could gush about individual characters in this for days. Yeah. The, the train station man, the oh, yeah. conductor well, guy. In fact, if we're going to gush about this for days, <laughs> we should at least prepare ourselves by taking a break. Yeah, I agree with that. Break right. time. Break time. Choco rockets. Simmons. Honey holograms. Nebulumps. Soylent dreams. Crispy bunches of space. Brain blasters. Strawberry comet trails. Whole grain nutrient paste. Mutant munch. Galactic slime. Splarg. Splarg. Seriously. Oh come on, you love Splarg. <laughs> Why are you waiting for silence? Welcome back. Uh, <laughs> um, JJ. So, uh, I hope you're ready for us to, I guess, gush about characters for ten days. Um, alternatively, we could do exactly what Broken Age did and completely break all the expectations set up by the first half of the game and just say mean things about it instead. Ooh. I don't think Bergen Age said mean things about me while I was playing it. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. In the second half. It's a little bit of an overstatement. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I crossed the line. A you tree did. did call me a monster, I guess that counts. <laughs> but that was in the first half. And in the second and half. And in the second half. Yeah. yeah. That, there's some consistency there. <laughs> I was wondering if that was... <laughs> Plus, I think that we were pretty moderate about it on the first half, so... Yeah, yeah, that's why yeah. it's also breaking, though. Yeah. I wasn't sure if you had, like, a thing you wanted to go into specifically. Oh, no, I was just going to be, like, a mean-spirited old man. Oh, okay. Hated video games. Well, what we were talking about, um, we being me and Andy, uh, yesterday, was uh, the fact that this game's Kickstarter goal originally was $400,000. And it was $300,000 for the development of the game and $100,000 for the filming of a documentary about it. And when they hit, like, several million dollars <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, in the Kickstarter, our assumption was that they were just like, we can now use all this money to go get good voice acting. <laughs> so, there's something, like, crazy about this. Because, like, for all intents and purposes, Broken Age is an indie game. Yeah. Yeah. Made by a medium-sized studio. Mm -hmm. And yet... Its voice cast includes, like, Will Wheaton, Jack Black... Elijah Wood. Elijah Wood, Pendleton <laughs> Ward, like... What? I d oh, you didn't know this? I, again, I intentionally Googled right. pretty much nothing. Uh, did you watch the credits? 
Uh, I didn't read the credits. That's where I learned all of that information. <laughs> I, I recognize Jack Black because he's fucking Jack Black. Yeah, he has one voice. Only. He does it quite well, but he has one voice. And that just made sense to me because I was like, oh, this is just like that weird metal game they made because Jack Black just <laughs> This likes- is just like this. <laughs> yeah, it's a brutal legend. I tried playing Broken brutal legend. legend twice and like every time that I've tried to play it, the point where I get to the point where it actually is just a strategy game is always like oh right i forgot i want to play this big fucking surprise there (laughs) but yeah i just expected jack black to be in the game because i just in my mind (laughs) where i know nothing when you started this game you're like jack black's gonna be (laughs) yeah probably friends he's like uh that one guy who's always in those adam sandler movies oh uh, yeah he's like rob schneider yeah Jack Black is the Rav Schneider of Double Fine Productions. Figured that analogy out. Will Will Wheaton voices Chris the Lumberjack. What? Or Curtis. Curtis Curtis the Lumberjack, yeah. Yeah. And um, Elijah Wood is Shay. Oh, yeah, that one's... What? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, uh, Pendleton Ward, who you know is the creator of Adventure Time, is uh, the guy in Mariloff. Gus. Gus, yeah. The, the guy who's eating the peaches. Peach eating. He's great oh. at 3D hypercrypt. I thought that one was also really obvious because he, he just sounds like... Well, I don't know if I've ever heard Pendleton Ward speak. So. But I mean, he's using a voice that he uses in Adventure Time. I, I, he was very... Fair enough. You don't know time. which one it is. Yeah. yeah. Either way. Yeah. Whatever. Elijah fucking Wood is in this video game? Yeah. yeah. He's someone, one of the main, main characters. characters. Man, that plays in like really, really poorly into my narrative about how the game's funding went over time. Yeah, yeah, yeah it does. They, yeah, they hired Black spent a lot Black of that money. And <laughs> they got almost... Elijah Wood. What did you say? The original funding goal was like 300000 or yeah. something? Well, their goal was $400,000. And they got to a million in like the weekend. So they got like nine times the amount of money. Yeah, yeah roughly. at least. And spent it on Elijah Wood only. Well, yeah. <laughs> Whatever, I'm sure other people who've been less fair than this on the internet and also been conspiracy. You would have to this. pay Elijah Wood like <laughs> that, much. that much money to work. <laughs> like, I get, like I get that he was Frodo Baggins, but like they gave him like <laughs> he was also the main character in the remake dollars. of Maniac, like the 2014 yeah. remake, and that was a fairly low budget film. So yeah, okay, okay. He yeah. just is he loves his craft. Okay, I love AJ. his craft. Yeah. He's a good actor. Do you think Jack Black like goes around to other actors and like attempts to recruit them for Double Fine games? Do you think Jack Black is like? Yeah, I mean, is, is... Are you aware of the voice cast of uh, of of uh, Brutal Legend? I, other than Jack Black, no. It's, equal, it's equally crazy. It. Yeah, oh, I like, actually didn't know about that yeah. one. Yeah, Ozzy Osbourne, uh, Lemmy from Motorhead. May he rest in peace. But do we is Jack Black's relationship with Double Fine something you made up? Or is it a real thing? Well, it's something that thing. I made up in my mind upon realizing how many uh, games he was in with them. How many is that? At least two. Yeah. <laughs> two, is, two is the number that <laughs> oh, I Oh, okay. <laughs> but I haven't played all of Double Fine's games, so it's possible that he does voice work in others. Yeah. I, I don't know. Um, I, but speaking about the funding issues, it also seems kind of unfair to make fun of them for the cost differentials because Kickstarter funding is nowhere close to, like, the actual complete funding necessary to sell a game, right? right? I was under the opinion that, like, Kickstarter had been sort of giving people a distorted view of, the like, the various costs of game development because they see that number, assume it's the whole thing, and not realize that it's mostly just a way for them to try and estimate 
how much market the market's going to be interested in the game so that they can then go to investors and be like give us 10 times that amount of money right right yeah. that i don't believe actually happened with broken age um it like it didn't have much of a marketing campaign uh, double fine is a more legitimate company too so <laughs> i think that like it's funny that people get the wrong impression considering it's called Kickstarter. Like, it's literally in the name that this people, is enough money to start a project. Believe it or not, people don't think about things that much. I guess that's fair. There's like, oh, that's a name. Cool. <laughs> cool name. Yeah. It's like on a motorcycle. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, so wait, is, is so that like Mountain Dew Kickstarter? That was not the case in this case. Fuck you, Andy Kennick. We're talking about Mountain Dew Kickstarter. The worst flavor of Mountain Dew. I it's would, not I a would... flavor. It's just like their energy drink brand. Whatever. whatever. It there is are multiple. Bad. It has a unique flavor all its own. Which one? The fruit punch? The grape? The no, orange. I mean the fact that it is... If you had fruit punch, grape, or orange Mountain Dew, it would taste different than grape, fruit punch, or orange Mountain Dew Kickstarter because they're different drinks and they serve different purposes. Uh, okay. This podcast I'm not claiming any brought difference. to you and not brought to you by Mountain Dew. <laughs> I don't know why you're mad at me for bringing because I don't want I don't want any Mountain Dew Kickstarter in this podcast. It's Mountain Dew Kickstart. It is. Oh, that's fun. Okay. I kind of like the black cherry flavor. I do too. So back to the video game (laughs) under discussion. (laughs) So you're saying that in reality they they didn't pursue other investors into the project. That's that that was their whole budget because that can't be. There's no way you could make. Even if you cut out the Elijah Woods and Black, Jack Blacks of the world, there's no way Broken Age could have existed on $300,000. They made like $2 million. No, no, that's not what I mean. I mean $3.45 million. $3.45 million. That's not what I mean. $1 I don't, million I don't mean for the... Elijah Woods. <laughs> $1 million for Jack Black. Not the game that exists. I mean, I don't think they could have made like an acceptable adventure game on that kind of budget. It's possible. Like anything that would be worth the double fine name. Kickstarter and other crowdfunding mechanisms, or this game, helped establish Kickstarter as a viable alternative to traditional venture capital and publisher funding for niche video game titles. This game was made entirely on its Kickstarter funds. That's, oh god. It is $3.45 million and it's a 2D point-and-click adventure game. Like I know. I wasn't saying, oh, God. I was saying, oh, God, because if what I had been saying was true, then that actually makes things seem a whole lot better for Double Fine because it makes them seem like they didn't fuck up management so much in the production of the game. <laughs> right? <laughs> I suppose. I don't think that, like, I mean, I came into this not really considering the game uh, not... Like I don't think I feel like nothing in the game was like fucked up to the point where I thought that there may have been like internal issues when developing. Okay, okay. like it all felt pretty much as intended when I went through it. Like I didn't feel like anything was a significant quality drop off from any other point in the game. I've I've been an old guide for long enough. I feel like I actually have to start defending this point substantially. Then, like, I think. Are you basically attributing this to like? Like, your attitude toward it for the first half of our podcast as, like, adventure game racism? <laughs> no, no. It's like, no, it's just, he's of his time. He didn't play adventure games. He doesn't He like, doesn't know. He's yeah. Just, yeah. We just let him get it. It's I'm sure I could love them. He'll I... probably die before, like, he becomes relevant anyway. Thanks. <laughs> 
That one goes out to all the grandpas out there. They're listening to this podcast. Yeah. Who will die soon? The grandpodcast. <laughs> you record a grandpodcast. As you were saying. Oh, yeah. They're like, okay. Everything, like, the, the intended through line of the game, I thought was perfect up, up to the reveal. I forget if I've already said that part or not. Like, you have the characters in both of their separate escape spheres, and then they switch, and there's this, like, cool kind of abstract mystery... And then you get to the second part, and they retcon, and I'm openly saying retcon here, the computer into into human beings. Like, I don't think you had anywhere close to enough information to suggest that Shay's computers were people. And it makes no sense that both of his parents would not even correct him ever, or just tell them, just say, just, we're human beings. We're not computers. <laughs> okay. Like, she has one one-off line that's like, oh, I wish you'd call me mom. Yeah, and because... because I, doesn't she have, like, lots of lines like that? Well, yes, but the point is, is that you don't... If your son thought that you weren't a human being, yeah. particularly when you are in literally the next room to that person, <laughs> yeah. she's just one door down that hallway, you could just walk out like, there's no reason established that they couldn't present themselves to him as people. It isn't established, and I agree that it's a little strange, because, like, yeah. the only, like, in-lore explanation, this is if you were trying to defend it, would be if you were like, oh, it was part of Project Dandelion. Yeah. Like, they, like, couldn't show that he had parents. He just had to have a computer overlord. Which makes no sense. All of Project Dandelion makes no sense. Let's go down the, like, step-by-step -step train of logic that this, like, weird overlord species was trying to go through to get what they wanted. Sure. Okay. So, even ignoring the ridiculousness of them having to create, like, a flying ship that looked like a monster on the outside, but looked like a space, looks looked like space with a ship in it on the inside. Correct. Uh, their goal was to, like, raise this kid outside of their society so that he could have, like, unspecified mystical abilities to recognize women that they could add to their DNA structure, right? Yeah. Something like that. Okay. Why are his parents even there at all? They snuck the, like, wolf guy onto the ship, right? Right. And he was trying to lead them around. The parents serve Interestingly, no the parents, the parents were there to just raise him till he was old enough to do that stuff. Why couldn't the people that actually had a vested interest in, like, succeeding this plan do that? They were presented to him as if they were computers his whole life. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Maybe they didn't want to do that. Actually, he has like, a one-off line else. at some point where he's just like, huh, like, I, I didn't even think about it for, like, a lot of years. Or it's like, he knew that he had parents. What? Yeah. Oh, oh, you mean he knew that he was a person who was born. Well, but... like, it seemed to be implied at the beginning of Shay's second half that Shay was aware that he had living human parents. Just generally. And he was like, I hadn't thought of it. I hadn't, like, I hadn't, I didn't even realize, I mean, computers. <laughs> like, it's just like this, like, really... And no one corrected him for his entire childhood? I think his dad point. was like, 
I feel like I understand that. Also, his dad, <laughs> speaking of which, was set up as this, like, mysterious figure. I was actually betting that he might have ended up being some kind of antagonistic role through the first half of the game. That went literally nowhere. I didn't feel like he had any mystery to him at all. He was yeah, the guy... The moon. The game... the moon. Yeah, he, like, opens up, and but he's never around, because he's always the night guy. Right. And, the, the, like, the mother night character guy. always, night like, guy. references that, like, he's around, that he's, like, keeping things going well. And he's right. doing everything all right, but you have no exposure to him, which really played into me sort of the themes in the first half of the game where everything is sort of just like subtly creepy around you in ways like when you're being imprisoned by like the most charming, lovely things imaginable <laughs> in both circumstances. So I always, so the, you had so little interaction with the dad. He was always just sort of said to be doing unseen things elsewhere off screen right. that I wanted to know what those things were. And then in the second half, they're both people, and he does nothing. Like, he, he was, like, apparently the things that he was doing was being a mechanic. Yeah, yeah he, he was, was just literally fixing just things. fixing the ship, like yeah. I said. For some reason, exclusively at night. Yeah. No, at night he wasn't, because then he was... At night was when, he, like, he actually spoke to shit. Well, but he can't, he has to sleep. Exactly. Yeah. So he weird. just kind of, like, his nightlight. Right. No, I think he means his dad has to sleep. Yeah, his dad no. has to sleep. Uh, well, maybe he sleeps during the day. That's my point. Why does he do that? Kicks. He's like always been a night owl. It because, makes no sense. No, it right? doesn't. Because yeah. he has to be the moon. Yeah. <laughs> it makes. It make, there's no established reason why a human being would do that. Why they would like completely separate themselves off from their kids, not care that the kids think that they were computer. That like a husband and wife would live on literal twelve hour cycles like around each other. <laughs> It only makes sense if you assume that they're both AIs, because that's what they were when they made the first half of the game. <laughs> I don't even know why they retconned it, because they don't do anything with the fact that they're people. Like, there's no new thing that opens up that they... It, even if they wanted to be, like, more humanized things so that they could explore their relationship in a way that didn't seem so big brother, they could have just had them be in robot bodies, and it would have been adorable and cute. Right. Like, the, the, the Diamond Pals have yeah. more personality than Shay's dad does. Absolutely. Yeah. I think Shay's dad has more personality than the mom. Uh, The mom has, like, an actual defined personality. Yeah. His dad is just sort of, like, a guy who's constantly... The I only found him paste. Yeah, he's interacting with paste. <laughs> I, just, I just remember the dad being like more likable by like a lot than the mom. Like, okay. When did you interact with the dad? He's on the beach in Shell Mound. No, no, no. Just show but what's likable about him? What is he? All he does. Like, he's like any of the other characters. He just says like funny dialogue that he says to you when you give him stuff. There's like a whole dialogue trees with his dad that's like you awkwardly as Shay trying to like tell him or connect with him as like a child and your dad blows you off. I'm willing to like go to the tapes on this also. <laughs> I don't know. I guess I just always found it funny. <laughs> so I just liked him. Dismissive father. Yeah. <laughs> really funny. Humorous father overtones. But like okay. Moving on then to the next. It's like it's old like man complaint. it feels like it's like unintentional. Like he's just like he's just this weird, like eccentric dude, and he just like doesn't even realize that he's been like totally like absent. absent. From his yeah, son's he's life. just like, hey son, you're here now. Like, what's up? <laughs> it's weird. Yeah, like yeah, nothing. They even like do it in like this cheeky way where like he's like buried in sand at the beginning and it's just his head. Yeah. And, he, and like when he like has a body, she's like, oh my god. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's just like nothing's weird. 
to the dead. Like, he's just like, hey. <laughs> I feel like nothing, I think that's like a through line. I'll, okay, I'm gonna, like, grant you every point about, like, pretty much all of Shay's story not making sense in, like, a real way. Yeah. Yeah, with the uh, parents. Can there's, yeah. but, 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 if you could hold that thought for just one second, because there's one more thing that it's like, supposed to be the connection point between Shay's and Bello's story in the second half. Right. Which yeah. I think is equally ridiculous, which is not just, like, the literal steps to try and complete Project Dandelion, but the fact that they, like, shifted the whole focus of the story from these, like, shared experiences of these different protagonists you could switch to there's, like, some kind of weird plague dam. Yeah, like the, all of a sudden you have these like weird, horrible mutant people that are now just like the like straight up easy antagonists that are just evil for reasons. Right. And they don't. They all of it's just completely given to you in like individual conversations with some of these people. They aren't set up to be menacing. There's no undertones. There's just a, a, there's just a literal wolf. There's like a guy literally wearing like wolf clothes. Right. Yeah. He's a wolf. And yeah. Sneakily tricks you, and then his other Eva people that also. Tell and by you that, you of course mean that it was a genius reversal of the classic wolf in sheep's clothing <laughs> adage. Yes. Yeah. All right. Ten out of ten. JJ, like, best game. <laughs> ten out of ten. You never like. You, they spent so much time in the first half of the game, and I'm gonna s- stick specifically with Shay's building up how sort of like creepy the atmosphere was in a really really subtle and cool way that i think only schaefer can really pull off because only he can make things that endearing that you can almost forget that you're kind of a prisoner right uh and then instead of putting you in like any environment they just didn't have any money so you're just back again on the ship so you can't actually learn or know anything about this horrible other race of people that's supposed to be the actual motivating force that you're fighting against now all of a sudden that you don't care about because yeah even like when you talk to like the leader it's just like a guy on a screen mm-hmm. for a little while and then you leave like vela's story yeah, it going is weird from the that they just like end. dump merrick off the ship and they're like right as if what they See did ya. even solves any of their problems right yeah. they blew up a factory that made these ships the people are still there yeah i didn't build another one i didn't even <laughs> think about that when i played through and i was watching chad do it last night and i'm like wait a minute like what? What is they? They reunited. Yeah, but they did nothing to the bad guys. <laughs> yeah, nothing has changed at all. They blew up that hangar with that bomb. Right, but that's one hangar. Well, <laughs> like okay, like Rush says, uh, changes aren't permanent, but change is. And all of the, sorry, had to get a, a rush quote in. Yeah. Uh, but uh, like you see, like all of the the people who were like at one point like complicit in the maidens fair fest feast, feast. yeah, the maidens feast thing turn against it. So like obviously they're gonna have a harder time getting people now. So like that is at least relevant. True. Like, but that they, is a relevant change. They it's do, a societal change. True. But they do just sweep it under the rug. Credits roll. And it's like, happy good times. Here's, like, a little illustration of everybody bridging the gap yeah. now. <laughs> Everything's fine. Well, I mean, okay. At, at its core, it is a coming-of-age story for Shay and Vela. Right. And it's like, that story doesn't end... Like, a coming-of-age story, by definition, does not end with, like, the evils of the world vanquished and, True. like, a major change in the world. It's just about these two characters. But, right. And evil usually ends in a coming-of-age story. 
there's a thing that you have overcome, even if it's not all evil in the setting. Well, like, and I think it's literally just that, like, the captivity that they each had was ended. I think that is what, like, the, st- the story from beginning to end, especially on Bella's side, is fairly well contained and has, like, its three acts and plays out in a way that makes some amount of sense. Mm-hmm. But, like, the world around it is what doesn't make sense. Like... They they don't give proper motivation to, uh, like the the villains in the second half or in, or or to really most of like the population of like the world beyond the plague dam or, it from whichever side you want to look at it the people that you actually interact with on right. Bella's first half of the story yeah because like there's really no reason why they would think that offering themselves up to like a like what is obviously a horrible monster and designed to look like a horrible monster right. eating them would like positively benefit anybody but like that's just not required for the enjoyment of this game from start to finish it's when you look at it and realize it doesn't make any sense that you can start poking holes I'm not arguing that it's a good thing. I just think that it's a thing that a lot of people can easily overlook. Yeah, and I have to say, I didn't think about any of this that you brought it up. So <laughs> I was too busy trying to figure out like which thing I should give the spoon to oh, <laughs> to like check the pH level of the whole patch and yeah, put some seashells in it. So, yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. It was cute. No, it was yeah. cute. It was trying to distract you. It's evil cuteness. It's malevolent. <laughs> it's trying to distract you from the fact that their story doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it, it's... And they, they could have sent the through line so easily. There's, like, so many other approaches they could have done that would have also been cool. Uh man. <laughs> well, why don't you just go try and make a video game, JJ? <sighs> I'm not Tim Schafer, and I can't get $3 million by just using my name and saying I want to do it. Because <laughs> that's... Okay. Going to that and continue to be a crossfit person. That I think really one of the emblematic things about this game is that this was a game that was successful before literally anything about it was known or existed. It was a game that everyone knew was going to be great before it had a title, when it was just the Double Fine Adventure game. So, of course, when you know that you're going to be a great game before you've actually thought of what the game is going to be, you get fucking Elijah Wood and Jack Black <laughs> and everyone, and you spend all this time taking the ideas that you do have, which I'm presuming to be the setup until, like, the giant switch and the connection between the characters, and making that as polished as you can possibly make it, and make all the environments that you're in beautiful and charming and great, and then you don't actually do the remainder of the footwork and you're out of money because you've got... Elijah Wood and all these beautiful people and you made the thing that you had like this gorgeous mirror of video game perfection. I like the idea that you're blaming all of the game's problems on I'm Elijah Wood, Wood specifically. <laughs> <laughs> it's not his fault. It's not his fault. It's the man who decided to get Elijah Wood who tried to pay Mr. for him. Mr. Shitface. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't want to have any on-record beef against Elijah Wood. I would, if I want to meet him in person I want to be able to honestly say I've never said anything bad about you. But you just didn't say a good thing about it. I mean, okay, I, I'm not willing to like pick sides in the Elijah Wood debate. I don't, I don't want to be like <laughs> the, the Elijah Wood debate that no one is having. <laughs> the great Elijah Wood debate of 2016. <laughs> not really even specified what the debate is, I guess. 
But yeah, I'm just... I hear that he wouldn't wear wigs. I want to talk about something nice, because this game did a lot of nice things, and... No, JJ just wants to say, to shit well, I'm going to be yeah. crotchety now. Yeah, well, honestly, <laughs> Before I'm, he says anything. I'm pretty happy about it, because like, I, there was a certain point where I was playing the game, and I wasn't sure exactly how... Because you can't talk about the mechanics in, a, in an adventure game, really, because you're just, like, you're Pointing gluing things clicking. together. Yeah, like, it's... I got an interesting note about that, actually. Yeah. Uh, Is it because, No. Uh, because I had no familiarity with adventure game tropes at all, mm-hmm. I had no idea you could combine items in your inventory. Oh, uh, yeah. Wow. How, so what was the first puzzle that the required that? cloud shoes on the ladder? I don't remember. I cloud think shoes I, on the ladder? I don't think I ever got stuck with it. I think I just discovered it accidentally at some point. Oh, okay. Point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, the thing that this game does that, like... Helps like this is just part of like the modernization of the point and click adventure game genre that this game tries to do, is that like in old point and click adventure games, if you like were looking at your inventory and you were like, I use the duct tape on this pencil, it would just be like, and then they would just separate and go back to like the two areas. But like in this game, when you if you did the same thing, like the character would be like, I don't think I want to put duct tape on that pencil. And so, like, it gives you, an, like, a clear auditory indication that what you're doing is applying something in your inventory to something else, and that those things won't work. So it's like, you can, like, mentally, like, put a hard check in, like, duct tape on pencil? No. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's not what I'm doing. It's like, mallet on robot? Yes! <laughs> <laughs> Musical cue. <laughs> uh... Like, that just, yeah, it's just part of what this game does, like, correctly. Yeah. But, yeah. Oh, yeah, I was saying you couldn't talk about the mechanics in this game because it was just that. It's just, like, the thing that an adventure game puzzle wants to do is have some level of, like, logic that you can apply to it, even, like, retrospectively after accidentally stumbling upon the solution and being, like, that's a thing that I reasonably could have come up with. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a cute logic. It's things that are... Interesting, barely logical relationships. Like putting grapes in a time machine until they become wine. Wine. <laughs> yeah, that's almost the perfect example of the kind of thing I'm that's talking about. That's from Day of the Tentacle. <laughs> yeah, which I just purchased. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, and I feel like this game actually does do that pretty well. There are very few solutions to puzzles that I thought were completely unreasonable. I thought some of the root, like... By roots, I mean, like, literally the actions you had to perform with your mouse were sometimes too complex, as we already talked about with sort of the, the string puzzles and constantly resetting themselves just a few steps back further than you want them to be. Right. But, yeah, the, the puzzles themselves were actually quite all right. That's actually an interesting thing that the PlayStation thing did, like, the, using a controller did solve, because it has, uh, like, when you use the right stick to move the cursor, it snaps to interactable objects. Oh. Which is really convenient. That was actually, that's a great solution to that problem, because remember earlier, I don't think I said this aloud, but you brought up The Walking Dead, uh, and if, like I think it was in the context of it being sort of more console-optimized, and of course it's console-optimized, because the things that you're doing when playing The Walking Dead is just selecting between, like, menus, and sometimes they're radial, sometimes they're just button presses, but they're all things that directly correspond to an action you do in the controller. You don't actually have to, normally, unless you're, like, in overworld parts of Walking Dead or something that are normally very short, actually move around in your environment. You don't have to go to the objects. The objects are always just there, and they just assign a different choice between them. And you're never, like, manipulating a camera or anything, so... So what I guess, in the port, they essentially did was there's such a low number of objects in the environment, 
they could just realistically ascribe each to like a radial menu. That's right. A really good solution to that problem, but it would require a lot of planning in the in in front, right? Because if you just have at one point like one object and then another object that's the same like angle but's further away. Right. I think do they, they do it more like uh, it's like transversally, not like radially. So if you like hit the right stick and you're on this object and there's an object here and here mm-hmm. and you go right it's gonna get this is i'm using visuals uh <laughs> if <you're, laughs> there's two things to the right of the object that you're on and you hit right it's gonna go to the first one then to the second yeah, you're one. moving between nodes then it's right not, yeah cool um also prevents you from ever having to do the pixel hunting literally because it would, you can always just find all the pixels and relevant objects. Right, the solution would be right in front of you. Yeah, and pixel hunting has never been like no one has ever who's been a fan of adventure games has ever been like you know what I really miss pixel hunting. Pixel hunting. Looking for like the scrap of like a of a Polaroid under some rubble <laughs> on a screen for two hours. Oh God, what Harvester had like. A shining example of that. <laughs> I'm sure it did. It had a shining example of a lot of things. You had to like pull like a shovel things. out of like some rubble with like a fallen building. Right. It's and like it's like almost impossible to see. It's it. just like gray on gray. Yeah. yeah. That's, but anyway, mm. shout out to Harvester, best game ever made. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you guys think Vela was just like a little little bit creepy? I didn't get creepy no. from her. I actually, I was watching a review of this game, and one of their big complaints was that they felt like the voice actress for Bella like phoned it in, <laughs> in comparison to the rest of the voice cast. I don't and know if I agree with that. I actually really liked Bella because I felt yeah. like I related to her because I also talk in like a really monotone way. Yeah, so yeah. I actually <laughs> like her. The monotoneness <laughs> is such like a. It's, I thought it was like a general trend over all of the game. I've heard people complain about it too, but. I, I didn't think that was fair because I thought part of the thing that made the setting unique was that everyone was just sort of like, eh, like all yeah. their conversations, no matter how fucking ridiculous. You could be talking to a person dressed as a fishing lure and everyone's just sort of mellow about it. Right. It's like, yeah, people talk about like, we it's like, oh, I dropped a letter from my name so that I would become lighter. And then you're like, that's dumb. And then you proceed to walk across some clouds. Yeah. And like, <laughs> I actually thought all like the voice actors that weren't the main characters were pretty, like, eccentric. And I mean, not, like, maybe eccentric's too strong of a word, but, like, they had energy to them. Yeah, I just didn't think in a lot of cases the energy was in their voice. They were definitely, like, eccentric characters. But, like, at thinking it specifically about the guy that I now know was voiced by, uh... Will Wheaton? Uh, Will Wheaton, yeah. That dude is the super best. mellow about <sighs> everything. So yeah. good. The wife who's fishing at the end... Oh, yeah. Carol? Yeah. Carol's just like a person. (laughs) Carol's just like a person. And that's... She has, like, no, like, unique features or faculties, and she's just, like, reacting. Right. Well, though, weirdly, she's, like, a fishing enthusiast is capable of making shoes. A cobbler. Yeah, a cobbler, which mark it on the, like... Take, mark the tick box. This is like the fourth podcast that we've mentioned cobblers on. Oh. Uh, <laughs> uh, and like is apparently like a Boy Scout level not expert. Yeah. I mean, it's just handy. It's yeah, like a unique crafty. feature. Yeah. There are human beings that like her that exist in the world and there are probably thousands of them. Maybe well, not like tens of thousands, but well, thousands. Of, I like, suppose it's fair. But like in nuts. the population of, of Mariloft, which like is like one. six. <laughs> That's like... If 20% of the people who live in your city are, like, crazy handy people. Yeah. Yeah. That's... 
It's a good city to live in, really. Yeah. Wait, oh, oh yeah, fella. I said that. And yeah, you thought she was creepy. Yeah. Specifically, I, I this is one of those things where I think I understand what they were going for, but, you know, there's the theme in the game with, like, the people of Sugar Bunting always used to be these warriors, and then it's really, at this point, just Sugar her... Bunting. <laughs> Whatever. Just her. That's the one it used to be called. Alex makes a joke about that. Like when he landed, it was called Steel Bunting, mm. and it was full of a bunch of badasses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. But like, oh, it's only her and her grandfather that are supposed to be like the militaristic people anymore. But they came off to me in a, a way that was creepy, also because of how monotone a lot of the characters present themselves. In a way that wasn't like we used to be badass warriors, and this is like warrior blood rising within us. But I just could have like innately murderous people in like any environment i find it weird that bella in like completely monotone fashion and so many of her conversations throughout the whole game was just like yeah did you help me kill monk because it's not even like because it's of course it's understandable that she would want to do that but it's like it's always the first thing it's always right. the first thing that she does and thinks and interacts with people about that and she always sense. does it with like the colloquialism of someone who's like asking for sugar and it like rubbed me continuously through the game it made me really scared of her as a person and it is definitely, like, that's part of her character, is that, like, not only is it... Because, like, okay, a great... The moment that I think most encapsulates Vela being actually creepy is in the Maiden's Feast scene. Because, like, she's actively, like, getting the other people eaten yes. to, in order to benefit herself. Like, it's, at no point in that is she like, oh my god, like, he just grabbed her, like, I'm trying to stop is this. Is she really causing She's, the other ones to get eaten? Uh, was she, I don't know, she'd like, I guess they're just being taken, yeah, they're like, just systematically. Being taken, yeah, yeah, and that's, I kind of understand, because like I said before, it's supposed to be that there's this general feature of the setting that people don't, like, react super, super strongly to things. They're right. pretty mellow about most things. Probably the highest point of, like, emotionalism that you get is the actual, is during that scene for the other maidens trying so hard to get picked. Right. But even then, it's just like, you know, like, yoo-hoo! And that's, like, the highest point that can exist. Is, like, <laughs> southern girl calling is nothing gets more extreme than that. But, yeah, I just, she was so mellow and... It talked about murder a whole lot of this, you know, horrible. Oh, it, of a monster. It makes total sense. I'm not that saying that would it be the first sense. thing on her mind. It makes perfect sense. I'm just saying it came off as weird because I don't often hear people like single-mindedly go on adventures to kill giant monstrosities in like the most casual way possible. <laughs> can you help me kill my Chandra? Can you help me? Like, can I use this to kill my Chandra? Chandra? Can you help me make a death ray? <laughs> 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 she was like woefully in danger like everyone else around her yeah, I love it. that when her and Shay meet for the first time she throws a punch at him yes oh, yeah. yeah that's probably my favorite thing that she does <laughs> <laughs> yeah no I, I just I don't know I think she's well characterized but yeah it is a little bit it, but it's no more off-putting than some of the quirks of the other people in the game. I'm not even saying... I, I think me being an old person has colored your views here. I'm not even saying this is a bad thing. I'm just saying it creeped me out slightly. Notable, you're the youngest of the three of us. That's true. <laughs> true. Um, so old. Yeah. Fair enough, though. Um, but, I mean, I, okay. So, Vela is, is characterized in that way. And, like, Shay's characterization comes as, like... Someone who's just, I don't know. Like, he changes so drastically just based on the fact that his, like, opinions and, like, reactions to things don't change. Yeah. When you switch from, like, 
fake train accident to like actually out in the world and his ship is flying away. Yep. That's once again something that I didn't think about the first time like playing through and then later I was like mm. man, once he escaped he like wasn't like, oh man, there's a whole world, there's a whole world here. He's like, can I borrow your pencil? I need to go have somebody draw a knot. Yeah. Like, sure. I think I He's think. not like, oh my god, other people. <laughs> and my dad. I'll just leave. Yeah, whatever. I thought his reaction to the snake was cute. I thought it was one of the only examples uh, of him treating Vela's environment in a way that was uniquely like him treating his environment. Because he grew up in a place where everyone was soft, so it's yeah. just a huggy snake. Yeah. Also, see, I, but it doesn't make sense that like he just because he mistook the real snake as like being of the same quality as <laughs> his yarn like buddies. his yarn snake that is like in the picture. Yeah. Like. Wouldn't make him able to survive being constricted. Presumably it's the hug attacks, right? Yeah. Like, he's just been hugged so many times that he's immune to asphyxiation. (laughs) He's immune to compression. (laughs) Right, He used to be, like, three times the size and is now just, like, a diamond person (laughs) condensed into a a nice structure. Yeah. He's beautiful. That was great that, like, the whole time that was going on and, like, the snake is just, like, slowly, like, nodding off. Yeah. This is just a good good moment. Yep. Did we talk like specifically about the plot twist? Which plot twist? The big one. Where Mog Where Chathra is, is Shay's spaceship. No, we haven't, and it's good enough to absolutely warrant discussion. Yeah. Like I think this is like the first twist in a piece of media in a while that like really got me. <laughs> yep. Yeah, like when that when that realization that like the the claw game that you're playing on Shay's ship was like the maiden's feast, I was like <laughs> mind blown. It's, that was so awesome. Yeah, it was really good. I was my guess up until that point uh was because I I evidently through this podcast have learned that I interpreted everything as like slightly more creepy and threatening even than it was intended to be in the undertones. But I thought that the, like... I mean, in every game that we talk about? Whatever. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that, like, the wolf guy and that whole sequence in Shay's story was just, like, the second layer down in, like, the simulation. That, like, he'd now advanced to teen mode, and this was, like, the (laughs) fake teen thing he was doing. I did kind of also think that. Yeah, because, like, he's just playing a fucking stupid claw game, but he hasn't realized he's playing a stupid claw game yet. Right. So... I'm glad that you managed to set that up as a thing that was beyond expectation, and which it made the twist hit harder for me because that that I didn't like, know it was real. That claw game thing, like, fooled me like big time uh, in the second act because I like it play it was like Chekhov's claw game for me because the whole time that in like the last part where you like actively have to switch between Bell and Shay, I really thought that eventually you would have to use it. Yeah. To, like, do something. Mm-hmm. But it, it just it just always looked like some kind of video game. Yeah. There's yeah. never anything you could do with it. I was like... I don't know how to say I was disappointed because I got to use Grab and Gary instead. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's about it. Poor Grab and Gary. Yeah. I wish I had a slice and sell. Yeah. 
What? I wish I had a slice and Sally instead of a grab yeah. and Gary. <laughs> it's one of the lines if you try and use grab and Gary on something. Oh, it's the hose. To cut the hose. <laughs> That's a good hint. I yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah, I tried using grab and Gary on, like, a lot of things, He's but apparently just not enough Not things. enough, yeah. Yeah. I, positive thing that I haven't said yet. I think my favorite part of the game was actually as Shay trying to break out of his routine. I thought that was, like, a cool, novel approach to the way that a whole lot of games sort of try and trail you. Classic Andy Kinnick. First game I picked, train game. First thing I did, like, lowered the bridge and let him fall. Like, I didn't go through any of that stuff. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, train train crash seems the most urgent. I'll do that first. <laughs> and then it's, you know, the way it is with yarn people and a mountain with a face on it. It's <laughs> tough as the bridge. So, like, I clicked on it to, like, make the bridge go out, and then I noticed that the interact thing was still there, so I clicked on it again, you brought it back, and then, like, they, you know, he was still holding on to the track. Right. So I put it out and then immediately took it back and just did it. That was the first <laughs> thing I did. Wow. And made it straight through. Man, that seems really damaging to his character development from your perspective. Well, as the first thing that he does, I, I like that, like, in the abstract, being, like, you could do, like, it's logical that you would do that just being like, well, I just started this game, like, three minutes ago. Like, <laughs> Yeah. That's usually so, like, not how I play games. Either. I know. Like, I yeah. usually don't fuck around. Yeah. But, like, there was something about the setup that just, like, made me, like, it's so happy. I was like, what would happen if this went wrong? Yeah, yeah. Like, it was just, like, I just... You were in his mindset that... The oppressiveness yeah. of the environment was supposed to put you in yep. just from the start. I guess I was it, yeah. immediately on the same page. Immediately <laughs> suspicious. That, that is yeah. my... That's Your MO. I, yeah, that's my MO. Immediately suspicious. Do, did either of you guys get to the end of the cereal? Yeah, I did. How yeah. many cereals are there? Splark. Uh, I think like... I don't know, 8 to 10? I forget. I think there's um, more than that. It's like one of the first things I did in the game. <laughs> I think so it's like, between 15 and 20 cereals. It's a lot of cereals. Wow. Cinnamons? It makes me happy. Toilet <laughs> dreams? <laughs> Wait, did you give up? So I don't understand why anyone would ever accept the cereal. No, no, I didn't, I didn't See, give yeah, up. I, took I just the... got a new one each time because I, I wanted to also try all the cereals. But yeah. I escaped... Uh, before I tried more than like four cereals. Oh, you actually like went and tried. The... I would be like cereal. You want this cereal? I was like, yeah, I'll try that cereal. Oh no, I and just said cereal. I just I said no to all of them. Yeah, until, and it just did all until of them. it got to the last one. Yeah, so I only had the first cereal. <laughs> you still get. They still offer you the first cereal each time. I think it's yeah. still the same order. But the next time I was like, nah, I'd like a new cereal. So, yeah, yeah. And then just kept switching Cinnamons? each time. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the second. Cinnamons one, is yeah. so funny to me. Cinnamons. Now. Yeah, the last one is Splark. Uh, <laughs> it comes out and she's like, Splark? And, and you're like, like no, 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 I don't really she's feel like, like, oh, but you love Splark. <laughs> Great. Yeah. And she pours it for you anyway. Yeah. It's interesting that, like, in a game where, for the most part, we all liked most of the characters, mm -hmm. like, really hung up on the fact that Vela seems to be, like, a little bit unstable. <laughs> And then everybody speaks in a monotone voice. Mm. I guess we didn't briefly mention the vomiting tree earlier. We did. We yeah. did. We're pro-vomiting tree. Does, it, does anyone know why a French horn would scare a snake? 
Stop. It would a French horn to scare anybody. Like just, if it was just startling. an abrupt, loud French no, horn yeah. noise out of nowhere, probably I, pretty startling. I uh, did do you, not know did, how snakes react to things. It's true. Did you get past the snake at any point? Yeah. yeah. The sign. Yeah. It's like great sign placement. Where's the warning about the cliff? At the bottom. Like, <laughs> like that was the one joke that I felt like they were like, just snarky for no reason. <laughs> Everything else was, like, very steeped in, like, the characters themselves. Yeah. And the sort of weirdness of the environment. Mm. Yeah. I like. I love that you didn't know that, like, the voice actors were who they were. Because, like, until he said Curtis, I forgot that that was that character's name because I just called him Will Wheaton. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know until, except for Jack Black, until I watched the credits, so... It's been a mind-blowing credit sequence. It was. I was like, what? Oh, my God. (laughs) Elijah Wood. All these people. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. Elijah Wood. I've been listening to his voice for, like, you know, I don't know, ten hours? Yeah. It's just, that one's the most surprising, because you wouldn't expect him to do voice acting, I guess. Yeah. Everything I've heard about Elijah Wood seems... Fantastic. Yeah, he's he's like a really amicable bro. I've seen interviews with him, and he does seem like a pretty cool dude. Yeah. I'd hang out with Elijah Wood. <laughs> I think if so, I was uh, Elijah Wood, I would assume. Long, that. long story short, Elijah Wood, ten out of ten. <gasps> Anything else? Uh, another weird observation that I forgot that I made and wrote down. Is it crouching? Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> everyone sort of looks paranoid when you're standing still, not doing anything. This was like one of the first things I wrote. Evidently, when mm-hmm. I had just started Vela's story and was the first thing I did in the game. Is that everyone as like a the idle animation? I don't know if it's in these games or if it's a generalized two D adventure game thing. Oh, we'll your just, character, not like the environment. I uh, know all of them. Oh, everybody, all people in the environment. Well, because they're generally they're like static animation. Since they're two D, there's not a whole lot that they can do to like make their bodies seem, I don't know, like actively mobile and jointy, if that makes any sense. So what they often end up doing will be making very deliberate movements with, like, their arms and their hands and specifically their heads and eyes. Right. So it'll lead to a bunch of characters that'll, like, you know, like, moving their leg and kicking and they're just, like, going, like, looking all over the place, up, down, left, right with their head, back and forth, different directions. Yeah, that's, Vela's eyes are really noticeable. That's an animation dark. thing. Like, with if, if you leave characters just, like, completely idle, they look like cardboard cutouts. Like, you have to, like, keep them moving. Mm-hmm. I know. I, I, I understand that principle. I was just saying that their specific idle animation looked very paranoid to me. I did never, ever pick <laughs> up on that. I think that's a, I think it's a valid, uh, like, observation. Because, uh, yeah, the, the one that I noticed a lot is, is Vela's idol. Mostly because Vela's she second holds half her is so hard. And she, like, she kicks holds her, her toe off the ground and, like, looks around. Yeah. And, like, her eyes will, like, dart left and right. Because she's, like, huge eyes in comparison to everybody else in the game. And I get the purpose. Like, it's, it's supposed to be, like, a visual cue that you should also be looking around. So right. if you're you sitting should... so doing nothing, then that's generally the path. Yeah, she, I think she just looks like she's curious. And which is, like, what you're supposed to... They want you to be. I feel like but she every NPC does that. Yeah. Awesome. Like, uh, like the tapping her foot on the ground because she does it in that way where it's just like she like picks up one leg and just kind of like yeah is is like that's a nervous tick. Well, that's she does just, it like, slower than do. that. Well, right. I don't. I mean, it's kind of like to me. It came off as like she's like impatient. She's like, come on, keep get playing the right. game. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna do like, like a Mario sixty four. Like she sits down and goes to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, it came off to me more like, okay, looking around, peering, yeah. like, you know, what's going on? Come on, let's sure. go. It's not critical to any interpretation <laughs> I have of the game. Right. Well, I mean, you could make it one if you wanted to force it and be like, this game, I feel like everybody in this game looks a little bit paranoid because it's a game about a lot of people living their life who all deep down understand that there's something more sinister going on beneath the surface, which is kind of a running theme in Double Fine games. I guess. Like, yeah. Psychonauts is very much like that. And characters in Psychonauts, despite the art style being so different, kind of resemble characters in uh, in this game. Like, yeah. you could draw parallels between Vela and Raz. I want to like, face design in the head. Yeah. It, which could be an art style, but also, I mean, like, I the think noses. it gives us... They have those the, kind of noses. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, like, Paste very dark on. nose, yeah. like, in comparison to the rest of their face. Which is weird. That's something that, like, always, like, in a still image looks very strange to me. Yeah. And, like, in practice, just, like, is... It just blurs into, like, the way that the character's supposed to look. Yeah. Yeah, you love the same vibes, really, with this game and Psychonauts. It's just this one is less, like, weird. Yeah. It's, it's more, like, it's instead obtuse. of weird. Right, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, I guess Psychonauts has the, the excuse of it, like, literally taking place in someone's brain. Yeah. So a bit a more abstract sense. concepts there. Mm. But have we commented on the art style? We just were. But no. other than that, I, mean, like, I, can't, I didn't like, feel like there was a whole other... I would say, like, I love the way this game looks. Like, the, just... The hand-painted textures, yeah. and, like, it just feels so handcrafted. It's really, really noticeable, like, how much, like, effort was put into the detail yep. in the, like, cutscenes, as few as there are. Like, when they do, like, actual... Like, yeah, it looks like... it. They look like paper dolls. Yeah, it, it looks like paper craft, almost like yeah. stuff was, like, cut out and, like, moved by hand and stuff. The thing that always hit me was the animations that your mother has when in the first half when Which she's still mother? a computer. Okay. Um, like, within the confines of that sphere. There's a whole lot of movement in her hair and, like, face and various angles and ticks that I always really liked as a way to give character to what could have easily looked like a target to a worst animator. Yeah, it just kind of looks like... Yeah, it, it, like, skirted the line between being just HAL 9000 yeah. and being, like, a character that you were supposed to, like, trust and believe in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it just had that very, like, storybook kind of look to it. Yep. Yeah, and it, it just, it, like, works wonders with, like, the way that this game's, like, plot sort of pans out, where, mm -hmm. like, they're able to, like, cause, like, they're they're able to show huge differentiation in areas that are supposed to be hugely different yep did i wish i had a yarn pal i would pay <laughs> I like, think, like i like, I like the hexapals i say i ended up liking the hexapals more than the yarn yeah. pals though I, more than any of them i like the percussion playing uh <laughs> diamond pals i never like ever i really treated like the, the crossing guard hexagirl <laughs> hexagal she's just She's not even in that a... hallway. It's <laughs> like with that smile, just waving her arms, with, with the pylon that yeah. just has like the same dumbfounded expression on its face. But she's not real. She's just a machine that does this and smiles. The yarn pals are not real. Yeah, they are. Just, you had yarn pals talking about like existential fears. <laughs> <laughs> Why do we exist? Yeah. yeah. 
You're like yarn paddles are clearly capable of having conversations with each other in isolation. Like, right. those, like the ice They're cream. They're cryogenically yeah. freezing each other. Yeah. But the, the hexapals, they're just like tools to be used at your whim. Yeah, but they're just so adorable. They are extremely adorable yeah. tools. <laughs> and I love the, yeah, the diamond ones that yeah. have like devolved into like a tribal like... Yeah, I don't know what... <laughs> something about that was just so innately funny to us yeah. that like... Because I hadn't encountered It's them. like the way that they follow you around whenever you have the harp playing hexapal. Yeah. yeah, it's it's that like... Uh, it's the the juxtaposition of like them being like an offensive force, but like still follow like they still want to look like they're like mean, yeah, and dangerous, but they're just sort of following you because you have the hex. Yeah. <laughs> it's like whenever he's playing the harp, they're all just like. Yeah, they wave back and forth, <laughs> and then the, when they all pull out the percussion instrument, it's just so goddamn funny to me. Uh. also fuck Shay's dad thank you for listening to no clip this week um what are we gonna be talking about next time next time uh we're gonna be talking about chrono trigger i'm not gonna say anything about it because every time i try i always say something real stupid (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's an upswing in these ending sequences (laughs) i'm no longer going to attempt to summarize a game that we haven't played Uh. yet it's a Square Enix turn-based JRPG. This is true. I, I think the problem was not uh, the fact that Chad was the one describing it. <laughs> Actually, well, it kind I, of was. I a lot of times it, I yeah. just said something stupid. I, say, I described it and it didn't say anything stupid. We'll let the public decide. And when you do decide, you can get a hold of us at noclippodcast at gmail.com on our website, noclippodcast.com or .net. Uh, Pick that one. <laughs> I think the same. Uh, on Twitter at NoClip Podcast, and on YouTube just NoClip. We good? We good. Sure. Your enthusiasm is killing me. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't say what broken what the food break broken age was. Sweet tarts. What the sweet tarts of video games? <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs>